Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Finger on the map. This is mine now. Flag on the hill, it's the Union Jack invading the red, the yellow and the black. That attempt on genocide, it never did subside. They're busy filling the minds of black and white with lies. Hey, let's recognize. Fuck that shit, let's decolonize. Let's reprogram our minds and realize that we are all still slaves. Slaves to a system that took the children away. Raped the women as their men lay in pools of blood. Oh no, wait, hold up. Slaves to a system that takes our children away. Rapes our women as our men sway by ropes. A powerful people, but we weren't ready. Ready for a king that lacked integrity. Ready for sickness and guns and big cities. Ready to battle a man that didn't fight hand to hand, but with poison and bullets and prisons. Fuck this system. Imperialism came by boat, then infiltrated our minds, arrived with the Bible, a forked tongue and a bottle of wine, no need to kill us when they're keeping us institutionalised. Now they're turning our suffering into dollar signs, turning our forest and our desert into uranium mines. Meanwhile, we're lowering our elders into early graves, leaning in to kiss the soft greys of their heads, then turning around to bury our cousins next. Tonight we stand on the unrelinquished land of the Wurundjeri people, knowing every day that their sovereignty was never ceded and their resistance never ended. You're on 3CR Spoken Word, Community Radio, 8.55am. That was the voice of Laniuk, who's with me in the studio today. My name is Brendan Bonsack. Laniuk is a Larakia. Kunarakan and Gurindji poet, living and working here in Nam or Melbourne. She was recently awarded with the First Nations Writers' Residency in 2017 Noted Festival and Overland's Writers' Residency in 2018. She's a contributor to the book Colouring the Rainbow, Black, Queer and Trans Perspectives. She's also an amazing spoken word performer. Welcome, Laniuk. Thank you for having me. That's a powerful poem. I get so sick of hearing that, you know, generic, heartless acknowledgement of country, you know, and I thought what better a way for me to acknowledge the colonised lands of the people that, you know, we share spaces with than through a poem. Um, and so I was sort of trying to tap on, tap into my lived experience and I suppose shared concerns of um, Aboriginal people everywhere. And something very personal to you. It is. And it's, yeah. a, it's a poem that I, whenever I perform, that's the first poem that I perform before I introduce myself, before I say anything, I acknowledge the country through that poem. I think a lot about my poetry because it is so entwined with my life and my politics and something I can't separate the two. I can't separate the three or the four or the five, you know, it's so interconnected. And sometimes I think, am I sort of spreading anger? Am I spreading hate? You know, should I be maybe turning my poetry more towards my community rather than focusing on the anger. And I have worked to do that. But I think we can't just lead with love and we can't just lead with hate. It needs to be a multi-pronged approach. So where do you deliver your poetry? 
It's been a bit of a whirlwind because I've only recently started performing in Melbourne and the opportunities have just kept coming. So I, I recently performed at an event at the Northcote Social Club called Bagaruk, which was for, um, the, for Victoria's NAIDOC week. Footscray Community Arts Centre puts on so many incredible events and um, I've been performing there a lot. So it's just across the city, really. It's been really a blessing. You know what? I actually performed at <laughs> at a baby shower at the Footscray Community Arts Centre um, for a, a beautiful queer family and there were drag queens and poetry. Um, and it's incredible how much the Footscray Community Arts Centre opens their arms to people and the community to hold even just, you know, intimate events like that. What I found really interesting about this NADOC event that um, was organised by the fantastic Neil Morris and had a lineup of incredible Aboriginal women, I got there and the first thing someone said to me was like, oh, look, there's no MC. You just got to know who's going on before you and then just jump on. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, but it was so great because it, it really gave the artists flexibility to take it in their own time, to introduce themselves in their, in their own ways um, and made sure that you were definitely paying attention and on the ball um, and really created an organic performance that was quite intimate, I think, for the, the audience as well. And it was just so, yeah, it was really, it was so beautiful. I think if anyone, anyone out there who was there, it was a really powerful night, um, which I think is in quite stark contrast to something like the Slam Lama Ding Dong that has, I imagine, tireless amounts of, of hours put into the lead up of it. But it is very structured. <clears throat> um, they've brought so much of that culture, you know, of the clicking and, um, and they've, they've really emphasised that, that support for poets. Applaud the poet, not, not the score. Not the, the score, that's right, which I think is really lovely. The first time I performed at Slam Lama Ding Dong, was for one of their rounds. I'd actually rocked up thinking it was an open mic night because I was trying to meet up with another friend and we were going to go to another event, but then we ended up going to that one. And so I just sort of put my name in the hat and thought, oh, well, you know, I'll perform a poem. And then I realised I had to perform another poem. And if I got through that round, then I had to perform three and I'd come with one. And so I was sort of in between poems frantically deciding which was going to be the next one. I ended up scoring quite high, but there was an incredible um, community there that day. I remember one person came up to me and they had their sunglasses on <laughs> and it's, you know, 11 p.m. They said, I'm sorry, I can't take my sunglasses off. I've been crying throughout all of your poetry. <laughs> and they came and they shared their stories and, you know, their hugs were so genuine and I felt really seen in that moment. And that was the first time that I performed at Melbourne, more or less, in Melbourne, more or less. And it felt really powerful and really intimate. Child of mine 
That was June Mills with Sweet Child of Mine. It's about the incredible story of my um, grandmother's mother who was taken away by the state. Um, And before she was taken, her mother made sure that she knew her skin name. And, I mean, she would have been taken when she was around three or younger. But my, you know, my great-great-grandmother must have just sat there and said, remember your name, this is your name, this is your skin name, this is your skin name. And years later when she grew up, she was able to return to that space and say, I, the only thing I know is that this is my name. And through that skin she w- uh, through that skin name, she was able to track down her family and find her family. And so my, my Annie June wrote that song to honour that story. And I think it's such a crucial story for me personally because because of my great-grandmother, we we're able to stay within our culture. I published a poem that I wrote in response to the all-white sunrise panel that called for a second stolen generation. And, you know, the removal of Aboriginal children from from families, it's not something that was left in the past. It's a fear that we still live with today. I was at home at my dad's house in Darwin um, a few years ago and it was just me and my siblings and I'd kind of lined them up and was like, okay, guys, we're going to clean the house and once the house is clean, I'm going to go and we're going to go buy ice creams. And then there was a call out um, from outside the house and I poked my head out and there were these social workers coming with lanyards and clipboards and my heart dropped to my stomach and I instantly thought, what am I going to do if they try and take these kids? Where am I going to hide them? You know, I can't let them take. And I started panicking. And, I mean, that's not a normal response when you have people coming to your house just because they have lanyards and clipboards and they were social workers but they didn't want to take the kids but that was my first thought Mm. and what does that mean for the anxiety and the stress that we're living under and how disgusting is it that a national program could spread so much misinformation about aboriginal children and promote a second stolen generation why was there I mean, there was an outcry, there was a large outcry from Aboriginal people and our uh, allies and supporters, but that that program needs to be shut down. That program is disgusting and more than useless, it's damaging. So I wrote a, a poem in response. Clear black bodies off black land. Clear black voices off of air. There's no air time for these black mouths to breathe, no TV time for these black eyes to see. No contribution to this morning's national story. No presence in your history. You've been dictating what happens to our mob since your boats arrived. No mention of murder or genocide, leaving out stories of violence, media erasing our voices of defiance, green screening the protest. Fuck sunrise. So the country hears your lies and believes 
like that task force for the Sudanese, like a cop's got to know the difference between Sudan, Ethiopia and Mozambique, like leaving refugees drowning out at sea but fast-tracking the visas for white South Africans? Please. You tell me this government ain't racial profiling. We are living under white supremacy. Erasure is the tool of the colonial fool. Everybody into believing a misconstrued lie so we can't see what's going on inside. Clear black bodies off black land, now the land, air and seas for the white man as though all of our loss wasn't enough. You don't talk about us without us. How quickly after the program did you write that? I think it was a couple of days after. I'd just been sort of stewing in this anger and this frustration at the audacity to talk about such a, a sensitive and complicated uh, topic without any Aboriginal people present, without any Aboriginal parents present, without any Aboriginal parents who have had their children removed present. And... It speaks to so much to this, to this process of erasure, of erasing our voices, erasing our presence, so that the control stays within the hands of a few. The erasing of people and bodies and needs is all connected, and it's connected to the Aboriginal experience. It's it's centered within the Aboriginal experience. That's where it started. If you want to solve the other problems, let's talk about that one too. Particularly within uh, a colonial context. I think erasure is a very well thought out planned process and there are so many incredible um, activists, community members, artists that are working to combat that and I think that's where um, art can play a really interesting and and important role in combating erasure and rewriting ourselves um, and writing our own stories to weave into what we're being fed My jaw has dropped to the floor on a number of occasions by the incredible work that um, Aboriginal activists and artists are doing in this space. It's incredible and it's like something I've never seen before. The theme for NADOC week is uh, because of her we can. Mm. I have so many, I'm so lucky to have so many incredible women um, within my life, family and friends, Um, but within within line to this theme, the Aboriginal women that have really really empowered me and, and I continue to guide me. There's cousins, there's aunties, you know, Aboriginal women play such an important role in, in nurturing and leading family. I have cousins who are, who are taking on other children and other cousins and taking on so much more than than what should be expected of them. But in these times, it's necessary for all of the community to come together. My incredible auntie, Annie June, she's an absolute inspiration time and time again. Her her art and her music and her activism is just never ending. Um, she creates beautiful murals in solidarity with the people of West Papua within the city. And then she goes home and teaches her grandchildren how to paint. Um, my grandmother, Nana Kathy Mills is an absolute inspiration. She's opened medical centres within Darwin. She's a poet. Um, she's a beautiful singer, a beautiful woman, absolutely powerful. And when she speaks, no one in that room speaks. You know, she's so, so inspirational. And then her, grand, her grandmother, who um, comes a lot in my poetry, Ali Ndabu, was the, one of the few survivors um, of her, her tribe. And a lot of Kungarakan people um, within the Darwin region trace their lineage through this one woman who survived invasion, who survived 
the murder of her tribe, who survived her children being taken away, who survived working for white families, you know, so much so that I'm standing here today, you know, and it's because of her, because of her resilience, because of her strength. Um, And so whenever I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed or nervous or anxious, I just think of her and I just think of her sitting next to me. I just think if she can do it, I can do it. If she can survive that, I can survive this. Ranguru of the Yora was the essence of resistance. Second wife to Benelong, she bore more than children. She was proud, headstrong, calculated and persistent. She did not fall for the illusion of white ascendance. She defied it, fought it, cut throat, tore at it, conspired with the ancestors and reminded the children, beware the sweet poison in white man's hand. Remember your people, take care of your land. She ripped and tugged at European dresses, refused red wine, and demanded resistance. Traganini of the Palawa possessed the intelligence of subtle defiance, having witnessed the ways of white man's violence, death, destruction, and disease, lynching, raping, murdering. She knew the tactics of war, not always with spears, and attempted to compromise to the colonial ears. Negotiations were met with lies and deceit. Her people were dying by foreign disease. She took to the bush with a gun in hand and became an outlaw to the white man, carried her spirit to the Kulin nations and fought for her people's emancipation. My great Kungarakanwechi Aliandabu embodied resilience, a paperback woman, lean and pensive. Her family and tribe were killed by rat poison. When her husband died, the state took her children. She worked for white families, and when the chores were done, she walked to the township with scraps for her sons. I see her hands holding theirs over walls and through fences, telling them stories of our people's creation. Now there's apartments from oceans to high ground attempting to disguise the Carlin compound. When the colony decides that the story is his, the contribution of our women become whitewashed myths. I imagine the nights our women lay awake, searching the stars, and now I'm doing the same. When I watch the skies, I'm holding their gaze. When I breathe in the gum, I carry their names. I hear them singing on the arrival of rain, their strength emblazoned in my DNA. Wow, it's beautiful. Thank you. Again, I, I want to sort of speak to that process of erasure, of of rewriting complicated stories into the narratives of our people and of our resistance and particularly of our Aboriginal women who are so often left out of stories of of resistance. We think that wars are just, you know, led by men, but in the process of invasion, the process of war, you know, everyone is, is resisting. And I think that we played such an important role and we continue to play such an important role and that's so often left out of the story. Uh, there's a lot of uh, young Aboriginal women activists now. There are, and they're so powerful. Yeah. I'm just always in awe. I'm always stand, standing in these crowds just thinking, my gosh, you're just so incredible, you know. And I think we're very fortunate to have these women on our side. <laughs> you're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. This is the Spoken Word Program on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Brendan Bonsack and I'm talking with Laniuk today. I, I can't tell you, to have gone, you know, 25 years of my life, to have never read poetry by an Aboriginal woman before and then to pick up 
the works like Ellen van Nieven, you know, Paula Bella, you know, Alison Whitaker, you know, to pick up these works and to read them and to see myself in them, I that had never happened to me before. And it was so powerful to have my identity reflected back to me in different ways and to feel seen as a young Aboriginal person. You know, I, I have such a hard time sometimes trying to heal on my own, you know, as a community, trying to heal on our own and to, it's a hard thing to be carrying around day to day, to be invisible. I try to find healing through my poetry. Um, I think that, I think that was a really important thing for me to discover. Even on small personal levels of loss and um, sort of trying to make sense of my, my, my politics, poetry really has saved me in a lot of ways it allows me to process it allows me to sit in sadness past and present um and to process and say what I think needs to be said things that I think I want to say um and it allows me to revisit I mean I have a a very important poem to me that talks about the loss of my cousin um and every time I perform it I get to have her with me I think particularly with, you know, this crazy life that we live that's non-stop. It's so hard sometimes to turn around and look back and reminisce and sit with sadness that is, you know, two years old, you know, or 250 years old. My future's really grim. The future that I have been imagining for myself on a personal, political level doesn't involve any hope. And through writing, I've been able to reevaluate that and say, what kind of future am I writing for myself? And what sort of future am I creating inadvertently by not allowing myself to have hope? And writing has allowed me to rewrite that and work towards imagining a future that I want to live in and working towards that. And so many more... um, Aboriginal people and particularly Aboriginal women are contributing to the literary scene and writing into a discourse around this land and around our futures and are able to not only write back to what is being said around us but to write aside from, you know, which I think is perhaps even more powerful is to sort of leave that conversation and say, you know what, this is what we want to talk about and we're going to talk about it together. You can join if you want but we're going to be over there and I think that's really powerful. When I was a child, I believed I could speak to the wind and that if I asked respectfully, then I could influence the way the breeze pushed or pulled through the trees and that the wind held a special affinity with this little green-eyed girl. I later learned that my family was born of the land and the sea and that as Latakia people, our language, songs and dance are part of that country our bodies, a physical manifestation of the spirit moving through that land, our words gifted to our mouths from the very earth on which my people stand and that we do speak to the wind. And that country speaks back, a soft sigh on the sea singing, daughter, can you hear me? I'm ashamed to say that sometimes I can't always hear countries call. Caught up in the day-to-day hustle and bustle. Too many people get out of my way. Turn up the TV, close the blinds. I can't remember the last time I saw the sunrise. Awful. But still my country calls. Dad said country's crying for me. 
longing for my return, a piece of a puzzle out looking for the larger picture, searching for a place to belong or to be part of something bigger. Custard country's crying for me. She can hear it in the rain, but she called just to say another baby came today. Wish you were here. They built another shopping mall and cut down all the trees. Billawatta, that's our black cockatoo, had to fly away and leave. Then they tore out our mangrove and leased the port to the Chinese, drilled into Dadawa, our salt water, for the gas company, cut out our homes and built a base for the US Navy. They're coming. With giant machines, newspapers saying it'll stimulate the economy, think of all that money we'll have when we frack the NT. They're coming for our stories, for our spirits and our identities. And right now, as we speak, the Jaburung are defending their sacred trees as Victoria waits to bulldoze their ancestors' legacy, a legacy of resilience, a country crying for its children. Remember, sis, listen past their lies and their bullshit. Your country is calling with a cry on the wind. Daughter, can you hear me? It's a grim thing to think about, but do you think time is running out? It feels that way. It feels that way so often. And it doesn't need to be that way. There are so many ways that this land can be shared. You know, even a few years ago, my my dad was um, sort of consulted for development. But he said, look, you just need to change the way that you're doing. You're going to build houses here, fine. You don't need to cut down the whole forest to put a home. You don't need to cut down the whole forest to put a road through. You can share this space with the land and you need to change the way that you're engaging with space. Of course, they didn't listen, but it doesn't need to be that way. You don't need to cut down whole forests and disrupt animals and waterways to live. It's about smarts, but that's not how this society operates. It's not through smarts. It's not through looking towards the future and towards, you know, um, a life that you're leaving for children. It's about making money. I was sitting in my backyard a few months ago getting pretty down, getting pretty politically down, which I think, you know, a lot of us do if we're paying attention, but yet pretty upset. And I was sitting there being like, oh, 256, 257 years of colonisation. Like, this is just, like, this is crazy. How am I going to fight this? What am I supposed to do? And then I thought, wait, 257 years versus 60,000 plus years of another way of being. This won't, this can't last forever. Maybe it'll last for my lifetime, but it will come to an end at some point. And the spirit of this land is still here. The culture and the language of this land is still here. You know, the land gave us language. That language is still there. We just need to be listening. Um, And that spirit is still there. It's hard to listen when you're surrounded by construction and work in nine to five, but it hasn't gone anywhere. The spirit of this land cannot go anywhere. It belongs here and will always be here. We just need to be listening. And there's already been, there's so much fantastic work being done again by Aboriginal women to re-energise song and dance and language within NAM. There's so much great work being done. Thank you so much for coming in today, Lenny. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Laniok is performing this Sunday, 15th of July, at the Immigration Museum in Flinders Street from 4pm. The event is called Decolonise Your Body. Tickets are available at the door on a pay-what-you-can basis. And if you look up the event on Facebook, there's lots more information about the event. And that's all we have time for this week on 3CR Spoken Word. Do tune in same time next week, Thursday morning, 9 o'clock, 8.55am. 
or stream from www.3cr.org.au. And remember, while you're there, to donate or subscribe to keep community radio afloat. For more information about poetry events in this city, go to www.melbournespokenword.com. I'm Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening.